So he's risen. Easter continues, even though we're now a month after Easter Sunday. And that's because we have, we have more resurrection to celebrate. And it's also because we have more resurrection life to explore together. So we're in, the, we're in this season in the church calendar. It's called Eastertide. If you have not grown up with the church calendar, this may be a new season for you. But there's these 50 days between Easter Sunday and Pentecost where the church has celebrated resurrection We've been asking God to to Easter in us all that he has. And so whether you're a follower of Jesus yet or not, this stuff is for you too. A few weeks ago, I was watching the TV show Shark Tank. Anyone watch Shark Tank? Entrepreneurs, business owners, they make their pitch for their company to a room of rich investors. And the company that they were pitching, it was a food item. It was Korean barbecue in a cup. It looked delicious. But it wasn't the business that captured me in watching their presentation. Rather, it was the story of one of the business owners. So as he told his story, I was just captivated. Here was his background. He's probably in his 30s now, but he told his story like this. He says that he was born in Korea, and when... He was 11 years old, 11 years old. His family decided to go on a summer vacation to the United States. So mom and dad, family, they headed out from Korea. They traveled over to the United States. And then once their family vacation was over, mom and dad informed the two boys, this person and his brother, that they weren't returning home. 11 years old, summer vacation in the U.S., you're not going home. We found a family and a school in Utah, and they went to Utah because they heard that people don't drink or swear in Utah. And they found them a family and a school that would take them in so that they could realize the American dream. Can you imagine being 11 years old, packing your suitcase for a family vacation, and never returning back home again? What was that like for an 11-year-old boy? a summer vacation that turns into a whole new life. Why did they do that? Any guesses? Why would parents do that? Yeah, they were convinced about the American dream. They figured if we can just get our boys to the United States, then it will be okay. This is a family deeply committed to the American dream. And they had a vision of the good life that would stop at nothing until they saw it happened for their kids, including the pain of sending your kids to a faraway land. Now, we may not go to the same extremes, but I think even their story, in an extreme way, highlights our ache for the good life our ache for a vision of life and the dream, or even the American dream. Some go to great lengths to find life, to find meaning, purpose, success, something better than you have. Some go to great lengths. 
Others just live with the ache. I would hazard a guess that you feel that too. There's desire to live. There's a desire for meaning and purpose and fulfillment and success. Now, we may not send our kids overseas to pursue that, but you feel it. Might Jesus have something to say about the fullness of life? Might Jesus have a different dream, even different than the American dream, about what it means to truly live and to have meaning and purpose and fulfillment? Open your Bibles, if you have one, to John chapter 20. John chapter 20, verse 19. So today, as we dig in, just to be clear, my desire is not just to preach to you for information. My desire is not just to give you a nice story with some thought-provoking material. We, again, as we've even mentioned today, we are seeking the cultivation of intimacy with God, with others, for others. I'm not preaching today for the sake of information, but for the sake of transformation in your life. Transformation that happens when you encounter the living God. So my prayer, that by God's mercy and grace, that we would have another resurrection encounter with Jesus through his word by the Holy Spirit. God wants to transform you. What's interesting about this passage that we're going to look at today, today's resurrection encounter from John, it's the same, it's the same scene as last week. Last week we looked at the scene in Luke's gospel. In Luke's gospel, Jesus, raised from the dead, meets up with the remnant of his disciples in an upper room behind locked doors after his resurrection. Last week, Luke talked about the idea of bringing them back to his body and back to his role in the Bible. John, as he tells the story from his perspective, again, it's the same story, it's the same encounter, but he does it a little bit differently. And while there is a lot that overlaps, John focuses in on a couple things. Let me share John's account with you. John 20, verse 19. It says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Again, this story should sound somewhat familiar from last week. If you were here last week, it was Mother's Day last week. Not as many of you were here last week. Let me remind you what happened last week. Luke's version. It's, it's evening of the first day. It's Easter evening. Lots has already gone down that day. But at this point in time, these disciples, they're freaked out. They are freaked out. They are behind locked doors. Simply put, uh, Luke tells us, actually John tells us, it's, it's because of fear of the Jews. 
They, they simply put, don't want to die. They just saw Jesus die. They don't want to die too. You find that in Luke. You find that in John. In both accounts, the disciples are freaked out. In both accounts, Jesus just suddenly appears. It freaks them out. In both accounts, Jesus' first words are, peace be with you. In both accounts, Jesus invites exploration of his body, right? His hands. In Luke's account, his feet. Here in John's account, his side where the spear pierced. All of that gets captured both by Luke and John. Rather than focusing in on my sermon last week, though, I just want to spend our time tonight talking about two things that are different in John's account versus Luke's account. Two things that I think that John wants you to know and see because they pertain to life. They pertain to the fullness of life. They pertain to the good life. They pertain to the dream of the kingdom of God for you and for me. Two pieces that John adds here that I think are important for us if we want to live and walk in resurrection life too. Here are the two things. The sending and the Spirit. John focuses on the sending and the Spirit. Let me talk through those two things tonight. Critical to anyone who wants to follow the resurrection of Jesus. First of all, the sending. John 20, 21. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. And with those words, Jesus further prepares his disciples to be commissioned and released into the world as agents of the kingdom. This sending, as the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you, it ignites the sentness of every Christ follower. Every follower of Jesus Christ is sent. Or you could put it this way. Resurrection living is not a spectator sport. It requires active participation. Some parents send their kids to a faraway land to achieve the American dream. Jesus sends his disciples in the same manner that he was sent. Now, if you look at the story and read the story, and you understand the background here in some ways, I don't think I'm the only one who could say, I think this might be a bad idea. Because I could give you a number of reasons as to why these disciples shouldn't be sent. These are the folks who just days before, they bailed on Jesus. These are the people who folded like a cheap card table when the stakes were at its highest. These are the people that are so scared. This is not bold, courageous, adventurous disciples. They're, they're hiding behind locked doors in fear of their life. Peter is impulsive with his sword. He hacked a guy's ear off days before. Peter keeps wanting to go back fishing. Thomas isn't even present. Judas is dead and gone. They don't have all their theology straight. They seem to always be in over their heads. Need I go on? And Jesus says, perfect. As the Father sent me, I send you. 
Jesus loves to send his disciples in their place of weakness and incompetence and overwhelmedness and, and, and being scared and fearful, troubled and weeping. And Jesus says, now I send you. As I have gone, you now go. Logic would say, hide these people away. Keep them safe. Teach them some more. Train them more. That's not how Jesus rolls. Jesus sends them. Instead of isolating and protecting them, Jesus sends his disciples in the midst of their greatest fear. As the Father sent me, now I send you. This is Jesus saying, as I have preached, you now preach. As I have healed, you now heal. As I have loved, you now love. Verse 23, forgive sins. Like, you really want to entrust that to these people? Forgive sins. Withhold forgiveness. In a nutshell, continue my kingdom ministry. My friends, Jesus doesn't partner with perfect people. In fact, it's just the opposite. Jesus takes the weak and the scared, the unprepared and the overwhelmed, the flailing and failing, and he sends them out in his name because his strength is made perfect in weakness and it drives them deeper in their need to him. So we talk as a church. Intimacy with God, with others, for others, Friends, this is the four others part. Loving others. Continuing the kingdom ministry of Jesus that has been entrusted to us to then go in his name. We are not saved for ourselves. We are not saved to hide or huddle up behind locked doors. We have been sent by Jesus even as the Father sent him. As Luke said last week in Luke 24, 47, that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. To all the nations. That repentance and forgiveness of sin that's available through Jesus would be proclaimed. Like that's the ministry that he has entrusted to his disciples, and I would say that includes us. When you are scared, unprepared, overwhelmed, troubled, you are sent by God to a Jesus who's able to handle it all. This is what he wants. He wants wounded healers who experience the healing of Jesus to then go and be wounded healers in his name who point to Jesus. We become forgiven forgivers entrusted with a ministry of reconciliation who point to Jesus. We've become deeply loved lovers who point to Jesus. And our job is to testify and tell the story of what we have seen God do. This is, I believe, John's version of the Great Commission. Jesus doesn't lock away his terrified followers. Rather, he sends them. Where we live, where we work, where we are, we are sent. Resurrection life is not a spectator sport. It requires our active participation. And the amazing thing is, is you don't even have to raise money for this mission trip. God has already placed you. He has already sent us. 
This is, this is the vision of the good life. This is not the American dream, but it is the kingdom of God dream that we have been forgiven, loved, reconciled to God, that we may then go and be a blessing, blessed to be a blessing. Can I have 10 people stand up? There's two. I need eight more. Awesome. Put these questions up. Next slide. Where do you work? Where do you live? Where do you play? Why don't you answer that, Matt? You are sent. How about you, Stan? You're retired. Where did you work? Okay. Where do you live? Where do you play? In those places, you are sent. Have a seat. David, where do you work? Where do you live? Where do you play? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, as you do your online activity in your IT world, you are sent. Sent. Joyce. All right. As you live and work and play, you are sent. Karima. Holy places, downtown, basketball courts, the people that you see, you are sent. Brandon. And as you go to work each day and you paint, and as you play with your coworkers, you are sent. Heath. Yeah. And with his help, you are sent. That's his representative there. Bethany. <laughs> yeah. As you have a new business, meeting new clients, as you play, you are sent. Like, what if I'm scared? What if I'm confused? What if I have doubt? Do I have another person? Oh, I'm sorry. I missed you, buddy. 
All right, so we're going to change the question. Where do you go to school? Where do you live? And where do you play? Okay. All right, you play baseball. You go to school at Washington. You live with your family. Yeah. I've heard the stories that you're beginning to learn that where you go, you're sent. Yeah. Yeah, and what if, what, what if I'm scared? What if I'm confused? What if I doubt? Then it sounds like you may be on the same training track as the disciples were. Which leads to the next one, the next part of the story that John emphasizes, is the sending, we are sent as the Father sent the Son, so the Son sends his disciples. And then there's this whole thing about the Spirit. Because Jesus doesn't send them, and he doesn't send you, and he doesn't send me empty-handed. He sends his disciples into what seems to be overwhelming and impossible and difficult. And it requires dependence upon the Holy Spirit of God. Which is why then verse 22, after he sends them, after the whole peace be with you, it says that Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. I think this is important to note. How did the Father send the Son? And sure, he sent the Son into this broken mess of rebellion and chaos, and he sent the Son across cultures from heaven to earth, and he sent the Son to incarnate the kingdom of heaven on earth to put flesh and blood on the truths of God, but none of that happens in the life and ministry of Jesus without the Holy Spirit. And so as the Father sends the Son, the Father sends the Son by, with, and through the Holy Spirit. Right? The Spirit conceived Jesus in the womb of Mary. The Spirit descended upon Jesus at his baptism. And the rest of the life of Jesus is him following the Spirit's lead and relying upon the Holy Spirit's power to accomplish the perfect will of the Father. Fulfilling Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to do all the things that he did. So it should make total sense that what the Father did with the Son, Jesus does with his disciples. In John 20, 22, when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now hopefully someone in the room is like, hold on, wait a second, let's stop. He breathed on them? Like, was he six feet away? Did he have a KN95 mask on? This is like not COVID protocol. (laughs) What is up with the breathing? First of all, let me tie maybe just a couple threads together that may help make sense of this. Uh, Maybe you know this in the ancient languages of the Bible, the Greek and the Hebrew. The word for breath and wind and spirit is the same. So in the Old Testament, it's the word ruach. In the Hebrew, it can mean breath, it can mean wind, it can mean spirit. And in the Greek, in the New Testament, it's the word pneuma, breath, wind, spirit. Sometimes it's a play on words. But there's this intertwining between breath and wind and spirit. And so in some ways, the, the, the general connection between breathing and the spirit isn't as far of a leap as we Westerners might think. But there's two other awesome Old Testament stories 
First in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, all the way back in the beginning, we're told that the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. So we're told that this is how God makes humanity, how he makes Adam from the dust of the ground. The first creation is dust and breath. And man becomes alive. This is creation through the breathing of the Spirit, the breath of God. Anyone ever been trained in CPR before? Mouth to mouth sharing of breath. Jesus breathes on the disciples. And I think this is borrowed imagery from Genesis 2, that Jesus is doing new creation work here. This is new creation breath for a new humanity that has now been born through the resurrection of Jesus. As as he took Adam in the beginning and breathed the breath of life, now he is taking a new humanity in his disciples and he is breathing the breath of life into them to live out the fullness of their human calling in the world. Then there's one other story, one of my favorite stories from the book of Ezekiel. This is Ezekiel 37. It's too good to skip through. I'm going to read the whole little thing. Ezekiel 37, verse 1 says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the Spirit of the Lord, and he set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, Oh Lord God, you know. This is the the vision of the valley of dry bones. And there's the valley filled with skeletons. Bones, Ezekiel is told, they're very dry bones. And God asked this question. As you look across the valley filled with dry bones, can these bones live? And the logical answer is what? Heck no. No, they're dead. They're very dry, dead bones throughout the valley. But Ezekiel, he's smart. He's a prophet. He's like, you know, Lord. Verse 4, And then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded and as I prophesied there was a sound and behold a rattling. Can you imagine that sound? Oh, freaky. And there's this rattling of the bones and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I look and behold there were sinews on them and flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them but there was no breath in them. And then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. 
crazy scene. Dry bones. And God calls the bones together and they rattle themselves together and sinews and flesh and skin. A literal recreation of humanity happening. But then you have this full body with no breath. And then Ezekiel's commanded to prophesy to the dead bones that they may live. And I love the breath comes, the wind comes, the spirit comes and takes the valley of dead, very dry bones. And not only do they live, but they have breath, and now they're this exceedingly great army. Do you know that God has the ability to take scattered, dry, brittle bones, and he has the capacity to put them back together again, and he has the ability to breathe new life in them so that once that which was dead can now come back to life. That once was desolation can now experience renewal. And what was once helpless cannot just live and eke out existence, but can thrive as an an exceedingly great army. Thank you. I was going to ask someone to say amen. That the breath of God, the life-giving spirit of God, brings death to life, dryness to vitality, and the defeated into being a fully resourced army for the kingdom of heaven. This is what the breath of God does. This is what the, the ruach of God does. This is what the spirit of God does. It changes everything. And so John in chapter 20, Jesus is alive from the dead and he sees these fearful, confused, grieving, scared disciples. And he says, I am sending you as the Father sent me to carry out my mission. And he breathes on them. Again, Genesis 2, new creation, Ezekiel 37, breath and power of God to raise up an army to go forth, fulfilling a new covenant call. And I believe this was a prophetic gesture that John is recording for us here that speaks of what would come in full at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. But regardless of the timing of how all this comes down, one thing is sure is that God's greatest gift to address the fear and confusion of his followers is the gift of the Holy Spirit. The breath of God. The Spirit of God. And we are not sent out alone. You do not go to work alone, school alone. You do not play alone. You do not live alone. We are sent with the Spirit, not in our power, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think the only way you can explain the difference between end of the Gospels disciples and Acts 2, 3 and following is the coming of the Holy Spirit fresh breath of God in their lungs, the power of God that fills them to live the good life, the kingdom life. The one who moves them out of the upper room is the Spirit. The one who heals and saves and multiplies the church is the Holy Spirit. The one who gives courage to a bunch of timid people is the Holy Spirit. The one who changes character and transforms lives is the Holy Spirit. And Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, that his divine power has granted to us all things 
that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. And I just want to remind you, brothers and sisters, that God has already accomplished all that is necessary to meet you in the midst of your deepest fear. And he still sends you. As we end today, I just invite you to take a deep breath. I believe that you are, if you are alive, and hopefully you're all still alive today, but if you're alive, I believe you have the breath of God. And I believe that if you have come to repent of your sin and trust in Jesus, that you have the Spirit. Because the Bible says you can't believe and trust in Jesus without being born again by the Spirit. And I do believe that God's presence is everywhere. The Psalms tells us that. There's nowhere you can run to evade his presence. He is closer than the breath that you breathe. But I also believe the New Testament calls us to this life of being filled with the Spirit that a huge piece of our resurrection living comes and requires, actually, the breath of God to blow in us. It requires the move of the Spirit. It requires us to keep asking for fresh breath. I've been praying for our church for fresh breath. That we would understand our calling we would understand how loved we are. We would understand the power of the Spirit of God that takes dead bones and can transform them into an exceedingly great army. Potency in a small community that gets the offer of the gospel. Surrendered to the power of the Holy Spirit breeds all sorts of new possibilities. So I don't believe that God wants us at all to go back to how anything was. He's got new things ahead. Fresh things ahead. I believe the vision of the dry bones is a continual invitation to ask God to bring his fresh breath, spirit of the living God, on that which is dead and needs new life. And maybe you can sense that even in your own person tonight that there's a place where you need god's spirit to come and bring some resurrection some fresh life fresh breath the power of his spirit because we are a sent dependent people let's pray jesus What may you be saying to us today? What may you be inviting us to respond to today? Lord, remind us of the fullness of life that is ours as a sent people and as a people dependent upon the Holy Spirit. 
filled, dependent, trusting, staying in step with, gifted by you. Father, would you breathe fresh life over us and in us? May we joyfully receive what you have for us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.